You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. My wife came to me and said, well, how would you feel about foster care? And I was like, wait a second. No, we've done that. We've been there. We've done that. You know, we are caring for orphans. We're doing what God has called us to. I just really don't feel like this is something that God wants us to be involved in. And uh, I agreed to go with my wife anyway to the training. And we went to Christian Heritage Foster Care Training. God just broke my heart for the need for these kids in, in our own local community. And so we just felt like we had to take uh, these kids into our home. Finished the training and uh, had brought our first foster child home. Um, he's now gone back to with, with his family. But when he was in our home, uh, when he first came to our home, uh, he would sit, he was sitting on the floor playing with a little toy phone. And he'd pick that little toy phone up and he'd call his mommy. And I tell you, that just, just tears your heart up to hear a little three-year-old boy calling, Mommy, I don't know where you are. Mommy, come find me. So that just solidified in my mind that, that we were doing the, the right thing for this child, that we, were, that we were caring for him in this time when his mom was in a, a point of transition. So. Foster care is, is messy. It's not easy. And it's not something that, that everyone is called to. But uh, if that is something that, that you feel like God is calling you to, I would really invite you to, to come and, and to pick up some information at the back table, talk to me a little bit about that. You guys have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and I've actually listened to several of the messages that you had on your website, which is a great resource. If you don't do that, it's, it's great to go back and to see what, what they've said before. And it was great to be able to to hear those messages and to, to kind of get some context into where you guys have been traveling through God's Word. Uh, so we're in uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 17 through 24 is where we're going to be at, and I'm going to go ahead and read now. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your glorious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what it is that you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Thus ends the reading. I tell you, there's 
it's, it's an amazing thing being part of a, a gospel-centered ministry like Christian Heritage. It's, it's amazing that I, I get to go and, and I meet with, with pastors and I talk to the pastors about you know, caring for orphans and widows. and Foster children are the modern-day orphan. But then I also get to go into homes and spend time with great Christian folks who have that same heart that I do to care for orphans and widows. To care for orphans. It's, it's great. I get, a, I get the opportunity to, to hear their, their hearts and to, to see where God's leading them and, and to really talk to them about you know, what God has in store for them. But just like in this scripture that we reread today, you can get uh, excited in the wrong direction. You can get excited about the wrong things. And that's exactly what happened here for the disciples when they returned from the, the commission that, that Jesus had sent them on. But b- before we go and, and look at, at that return, but I think it's good to get some context and kind of take you back a little bit to, to remember you know, what had happened previously. So if you, if you will, I don't know if this is... Is that tracking along with me? Okay, great. I, I can't see the screen. If you go to Luke uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, Jesus had sent out others, not, not the 72 or the 70, as some versions, uh, translations say it, so I'm not sure whether it's 70 or 72, but, but that wasn't who he sent first. He first sent the 12, and he's, he says it here. He says, And Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's to kind of take you back, and I'm sure that it was just probably, what, three weeks ago or so that you were, maybe four weeks ago that you were in that very, very scripture and uh, learning about that, that journey that we sent. Something that was interesting that I noticed about this, uh, this commission that, that Jesus sent these 12 on versus the, the commission that he sent the 70 or the 72 on, it's, in, the, in this commission he says that he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. It explicitly says right there that he did that, that he gave them that. But that isn't true when you look in uh, Luke 10.1, when he sent the 72 out. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, and behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, no, no, greet no one on the road. Wherever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So we see that he doesn't give them that same power and authority. So I, I don't know if you really thought about this, but, but I mean, this is a time and a place where traveling from a town to a town is not as easy as it is today. I mean, they didn't have cars, they didn't have bicycles. 
they didn't really probably even have anything to ride on, like a, a donkey or a horse, because generally those were, were reserved for people of, of prominence. So these people were walking. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, don't wear any sandals. Now, do you realize how dangerous that can kind of sound? Just walk barefoot is what he's telling them. Go to these places, walk for miles and miles, and don't wear shoes. Now, we take shoes for granted in our society. I mean, everyone, everyone here probably has at least one pair of shoes. Some of you may have several. Some of you might have a problem with shoes. <laughs> I don't know, but, but, but here's the thing. They, they were told not to take any shoes and to not wear any shoes, which to us, that seems kind of odd. But do you realize how important shoes are? Shoes are, are the first defense against diseases that you could contract from the ground when they get on your feet and then, and then get absorbed up into your body. Shoes are, are protection against rocks. Shoes are protection against snakes, serpents, scorpions. So they had to have a lot of faith when they walked out. Now, I'm not saying that they all walked out thinking, yes, Jesus, we're going to do exactly what we, we feel really called to this. We're ready to go. Some of them might be grumbling, right? Because they're people just like us. And they're like, oh, I can't believe, you know, why is it that I have to go clear to Lexington and he only has to go to Kearney? Or uh, how, come, how come that group only has to go to Sutton and, and we have to go all the way to Grand Island? You know, I mean, maybe depending on if you're coming from Hastings or not. I can imagine that some of that was going on, that they, were, that they were probably not always in the best situation. Now, the scripture doesn't speak to that, and, uh, and that's okay. But they were told to go with no shoes, to take no provisions along, no food, to trust themselves completely into the hands of whoever would take them in. They were even told, don't talk to anyone on the roadside. And they weren't given that special protection by Jesus that the twelve were. See, the twelve are kind of like your, your lead team, you know, right? Or, or I mean, your pastoral team. They're the, the apostles. They're, they're kind of like the people in charge. And uh, the rest of them was just, just regular guys. Just regular folks going out on, and doing, you know, what God has commissioned them to do. Everyone, it doesn't matter who you are, has a commission from God. It doesn't matter where you've come from, where you've been, where you're going. You have a commission from God. Some of you may know what it is God is calling you to. Some of you may still not know where God is leading you and what God wants you to do. But every single one of us, it doesn't matter where we come from, has something that God wants them to do and a direction that God wants them to go. For some of you who, who maybe don't know Jesus yet, that, that is to, to, to find Jesus and to find salvation uh, through, through, the, through Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. But for those of us who are Christians, who, who are, are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, He has specific missions that are centered in the gospel for you to be engaged in. For my wife and I, that's foster care. That's adoption. That's caring for people that most people have kind of thrown away as trash. 
when we went over to Ukraine, we went and we saw uh, where these kids were kept. Um, they have Down syndrome, and the average lifespan for a person with Down syndrome in Ukraine is 19. 19 years old. And the reason is they don't feed them. They don't provide them with any medical care. There's no, uh, there's no government services to, to care for these kids. There's just nothing for them. And when you are born in, in Ukraine or in other Eastern European countries and you have a special need like that, they just discard you. Very Darwinian in their thinking, to be quite clear. You're not valuable. You have no worth. Therefore, we're going to throw you away. Basically, that's what they do. A, a person who, with Down syndrome who lives in the United States averages 50 years. So that gives you kind of a perspective. So we were called to go and to care for these kids and to bring them into our home and to show them the love of Jesus. And when, we, when they came to our home, they didn't speak English. They didn't really speak Ukrainian either. They didn't really have a lot of language skills. And now we're starting to get a little bit of you know, vocalization from, from, a cup, from the girls. It's really great to see. One of the things about foster care is you get the opportunity to share Jesus with someone who's probably never, or possibly never, going to respond. And, and what, what that means, and what that causes in, in most people, is to say, well, you know what, if, if, if it's not going to produce any fruit, then it's not worth doing, I'm not going to do it. And that's exactly the problem that, that, that Jesus is correcting the disciples about. When they return. Because they have their mind set on the wrong thing. They, come, they, they go out on their journey. They maybe weren't in the great mood when they went out. But when they came back, they were like, Jesus, you won't believe. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. But the, Jesus, you won't believe this. We were able to overcome the power of the spiritual realm. Of the evil spirits, of the demons. And even Satan himself. And Jesus says, yeah, he says, I saw Satan falling from the sky like lightning, right? That's what he says. But he says, don't put your value in that. Because if you put your value in that, then when, it, when times aren't going your way, and when you don't see that power, then you're not going to want to do what we've called you to do. But instead, keep yourself with a humble perspective, recognizing that the only thing that you really need is to know that your, that your life has been saved and that your name is written in the book of life. I, I've been doing ministry for quite a while and and people will get excited, you know, so they, get, they get saved and they get really on fire for Jesus. And they're like, yeah, I want to go out, I want to go do, I want to go here, I want to be this. And, and then when people don't respond to what they 
they want or, or they don't get the result that they think that they, they would, should have gotten. Like, well, the, you know, this, there's really no power in this. I, you know, I'm not going to do anything. And that's the exact reason that you have so many people that are in church today on Sunday that are doing absolutely nothing for Jesus. And I'm not sure if that's going on here. I would say probably not. It's been really kind of an exciting time to, to watch you guys as you, as you minister to one another as the service begins. But that's really the problem. And it's not just an American problem. It's a world problem. The church today in our world has become apathetic. Apathy. It's taken over. We don't see uh, anything changing in our world Therefore, we will do nothing to change it. And that's insanity. That makes no sense. Spiritually speaking. And that's why Jesus says to them, now that you know that you are saved, because you are saved, then you should go forth and do what I have called you to do. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves, is the gift of God. In verse 10, he says, verse 10, he says, I better look so I don't say it wrong. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Yes, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved and because we are saved, we will do what God has called us to do. God's prepared something for you to do in advance. And he's asking you to walk in it. Not because of the the benefits that you will get as a result. And you may get benefits as a result. You may feel really good as you see people changed and moved. But that's not why we do it. We do it because our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God's power cannot be separated from the gospel revelation. The gospel isn't just something that we say to others, but it should impact the way that we live our life daily. I do what I do, not because I get some sort of acclimator or or praise, but I do what I do because of what He has done for me. We're called to boldly approach the gospel presentation with gentleness and humility. It almost seems like an oxymoron to to be bold about it, but also do it with gentleness and humility. But that's what we're called to do. There's no reason to be meek about it or backbiting or, or scared when telling people that Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. And that if you will repent and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can come into His family.
the reason that we say it with gentleness and humility is because it's not something that, that I can give to you. I can only present to you what God gives to you through Jesus Christ on the cross. It's nothing great about me doing foster care. I'm not any better than anyone else because I'm caring for kids in foster care. But instead, because of who Christ is, I humbly serve. You see the distinction? Do you get that? That's why Jesus calls them to that place of humility and says, look, you know, just because the power, you know, just because you were commissioned or, or had the power over Satan does not mean that you should be happy about that. And then Jesus, after that, he goes into a time of he goes into a time of rejoicing. And this, you might not know this, but this is kind of, uh, this is something that happens only at this point in Scripture. There's, there's no place at least that I can, can think to where Jesus is actually rejoicing other than in this place. And so that probably means that we should look at this pretty closely. He's rejoicing, and, 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 and what does he do? How does he do it? In that hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your glorious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus speaks you know, in, in praise and, and exuberance. He's, he's joyful. And, and, and I don't know that Jesus was always melancholy or sad or depressed or, or, or kind of down. I don't think that that's true. But, but of all the places that he, you know, in Scripture, this is the only place where the authors have taken the time to say that he was joyful. In, 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 this, in this time, he's, he's rejoicing. And what is he rejoicing He's rejoicing in the fact that God has revealed himself to the little children. Now, those, that's a metaphor for, for people that are not, you know, not, not learned or not educated or not you know, in high society. That he's, he's hidden it from, from those types of folks and, and just the regular folks he's, he's revealed himself to. Also in this, in this place in Scripture is a great place to see you know, kind of the, the Trinitarian idea. Because Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, Jesus being the Son, in the Holy Spirit, praised the Father. We should rejoice at the things that Jesus rejoices in. That He took just regular folks, just living life, just disciples, and used them and revealed himself to them.
And then Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he says privately. So, so this means that I mean, there's, a, there's a large number of people there, but he goes to, to just kind of like the inner circle, and he says to them, he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What's he talking about there? This same idea that just these regular folks, slaves, really? Regular folks who had regular jobs and, and went and did their jobs. That they were commissioned by God and able to see God's power and to get to spend that time with Jesus. Now, in a sense, we can kind of connect with the 70 or 72 there, can't we? Because we're just regular folks living life out here in Nebraska. We're in a flyover state even, right? You know, like the, even people who live on the East Coast kind of regard us as being like nothing. But we're not nothing to Jesus. Now, in a sense, we, you know, we can't really uh, identify with the 72 because they sat in Jesus' presence. And they were able to be witnesses, eyewitnesses to His ministry, to see His divine power with their eyes. And, and we can't do that. If you turn over to uh, John verse 20, or John 20 verse 24. Now Thomas was one of the twelve called the twin, and not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails, and the place my finger into the, into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put your hand, and place it in my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, but have yet believed. That's us. Those who have not seen Jesus as eyewitnesses, but have believed. That we have a faith and a trust in Jesus. Based not on something that's occurred that we can see, but based solely on our relationship with Him. See, we, we put our, our, fa our faith and trust in Christ. And we live a life obedient to His call. Based only and solely on the fact that He has called us.
that family on the video, not every day was great. Just wasn't. The oldest of the, of the three kids that they brought into their home was incredibly rebellious. And for, for good reason, something maybe you, this is a way that you can understand. Um, with, with foster children, they're in their history, a lot of times, adults have failed them miserably, let them down. Even the adults that really, you know, invest, wanted to invest in them, for the most part, they were pulled away from, and they lose their contact with them. So they don't have a great relationship with adults. They're not going to respond very well to authority. They're going to really struggle at times. And their oldest, Brianna, she was one of those who was really fighting against the family and what the family wanted to do. They remained consistent in their, in their love of, the, of her and, and uh, tried their very best, but you know, it was, it was messy. It was gross. Their problems, things that came from her traumatic past, uh, her, her you know, love and, and dedication to, to family that was not healthy for her, all of those things, working together and kind of working against what the Wilsons were trying to do. But they made, maintained themselves and they stayed steadfast. And they stayed steadfast seeing that it just didn't seem like it was working. The, the younger two, they were okay, but, the, but this older one, she just would not submit. Just wouldn't. So only by remaining in faithful church community and trusting and praying through it were they able to overcome. This time we're going to show another video. A video of redemption. when I lived with my parents that um, my dad was using drugs and my mom had kicked him out and um, my parents were not divorced and my mom had a boyfriend and it made my dad really mad and so he was the one that kept calling CPS and stuff like that and I think that that's some of the reason we got taken away and just because it wasn't a safe environment and stuff. I was 11 years old when we were taken away and put in foster care. Um, when I first entered it, I was really resentful towards everyone and 
We were in six different houses in one year. We lost a lot of stuff, and then we lost all our visits from our parents, and we didn't get to say goodbye. Just not being able to say goodbye and stuff, that was really hard. Um, showing up at Amanda and Brian's doorstep, I was thinking, here we go again, it's the same thing, like, we're just gonna don't get too adapted to the place because we're gonna leave again, that kind of thing. And um, I was really mean to them. Every time she tried to say something, I'd always argue with her about it. Like, there's no questions asked. And I just never wanted to listen. And if they couldn't talk to me about my parents, but I was, I was always wanting to talk about them because I thought that they were fine. I didn't know why we couldn't go back to them. But then I realized that they were different than everyone else and um, they were gonna love us like real parents and um, so then I knew that's when we were gonna have a family again and that I started to respect them and call them mom and dad and um, I just realized that that was a good thing for me because before that, I didn't really have a good mom and dad, so to know what a real mom and dad was like, it feels like um, I'm worth something. You look around all the time and you see your friends that only have a mom or only have a dad or all their parents are divorced, and it's really, I'm really lucky to have a family that's all together and we spend so much time together. Being a part of this family is like being accepted into God's family because there's someone always there that you can talk to. Just like when you wanna to talk to God, you can pray to Him and you always have someone to love you. And that's a great feeling to have and to feel like you're worth something from your family and God is amazing. If foster care is something that you're curious about or interested in, um, I would really invite you to uh, attend. We're having a, a foster care event, Foster Stories, where other young people like, like Brianna will, will come and uh, tell their story, where foster parents will be there to, to answer questions, where some people who you know work in foster care will be there to answer questions and kind of let you know what foster care is really all about. That's going to be on September 28th. It's going to be at the E-Free Church in Grand Island. And I would invite any of you who feel like this is something that you're interested in. There's no real obligation. Um, we, we really want people to be sure about this before they start on that journey. So just love to have anyone who's interested come and uh, answer, we'll answer some questions and maybe you know let you know kind of more about what it is that we do. So, I have information on that, the back table, if that's something you're interested in. But even if that's not what you're interested in, even if foster care is not where God is calling you, search and seek and see where God has called you. And be faithful to God in that calling. Go where God is leading you.
Spread that gospel. Help people out in this world to find that hope in Jesus Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I don't know if you know who he is. He's kind of an old dead guy. Talked about, talked about Scripture a lot. Some of you are laughing, so that means that he talks about Spurgeon sometimes. So. Anyway, he's, he, he's uh, quoted as saying th- this, and, and I'm probably going to, you know, I'm not even sure that he actually said it, but, but it's really good. If you are saved, what else matters? If you are saved, what else matters? That should be first and foremost. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you as as your people. Called to the very purposes that you have for us. Father, lead us and guide us in the direction that you would have us go. And help us to remain humble. Help us to remain seeking you. Father, I just, I would pray for for those who are here that you would lead them and guide them and show them and direct them to what it is that you would have them do. Whether that be foster care or some other way of, of reaching out with the gospel into our world. Father, the gospel cannot be overcome because it is your power. Bless us on that journey. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.